0: Papa Ray knows the fear of abandonment and the pain of rejection that growing up without a father can cause. He knows firsthand the struggle of not believing he was worthy or loved. These struggles took him through two devastating, life-changing depressions. In the first one, he went bankrupt, losing his business and his home. In the second, some twenty years later, he nearly lost his life. After the second battle with depression, A significant shift happened. Ray realized that he was not the only one who felt forsaken and left alone to fight for his life. Assisting others as they faced their hurts and overcame their pain gave him a sense of purpose. He understood that his life's calling was to reach out to help other people feel loved and wanted. Now, Papa Ray's greatest passion is writing and developing easy-to-understand teachings people can follow to show them how they are worthy and help them see their real purpose in life, to help them find their freedom. His new motto has become, I will be to the world what the world was not to me when I needed them. By touching people's hearts and filling them with love, Papa Ray has helped thousands feel wanted as a son or daughter and be able to receive love from their Heavenly Father.
1: Hi, welcome to Step Family Mission Possible, where our mission is to help you identify the detours and potholes in your step family life. Fill those potholes, straighten out that road and live your best family life now. And along the way, you're gonna discover you're in just the right place.
0: Hi there, we're Bill and Jen Rogers and we help Christian step family couples Turn what feels impossible into StepFamily Mission Possible. How do we do that, you may ask? On each episode, we bring you ideas and strategies you can start implementing right away. We help you create a vision, a kingdom legacy that relies on God's best for your stepfamily. So if you're ready to ditch the chaos caused by high-conflict stepfamily norms, regain intimacy for you as a couple, And begin to live your kingdom legacy right now, you're in the right place. Welcome to Step Family Mission Possible. You are family here. Real quick though, before we start, Bill and I are going to be sharing literally everything we know and that we're learning about how to enjoy step family life on this podcast feed. So we're not going to be holding anything back. But the thing is, it's going to take us a long time to release all of this knowledge out into the world as we're doing weekly episodes. So if you are ready to kick chaos to the curb and live your best stepfamily life right now, we invite you to participate in our coaching programs. It all starts with a free 30 minute call. We'll give you our best blending advice on what you can do immediately to calm the chaos. And if it's a good fit for you, we'll invite you into our membership program. Simply go to stepfamilymissionpossible.com or click on the link in the show notes to begin. We can't wait to meet you.
2: Papa Ray, the first thing I think of is the mamas, the papas. (laughs) You're the musician, and you may have, you probably could sing some of their songs. I would be able to. We're not here to sing, we're here to welcome Papa Ray. Papa Ray, hey there, how are you?
3: I'm doing amazing. I'm excited to be here with you guys. We are really
2: pleased to have you with us as well. Welcome to Step Family Mission Possible.
3: Awesome.
1: Papa Ray, you have a ministry to hurting people, and this includes step families. Tell us a little bit about how that came about.
3: Yeah, I start from the beginning. I grew up in a conservative Mennonite community. And my father left when I was four years old. Unfortunately, fifty plus years ago, the the community I lived in really had no concept of how to deal with separation, divorce, and single-parent homes. So I struggled with a lot of depression and rejection all my life. So it's something that's always been very near and dear to my heart is how to deal with these wounds. And unfortunately, I suffered through two major depressions before I really got and figured it out. Now, my greatest passion is to be for the world what the world was not for me when I needed them the most. And that's why I'm so passionate about helping people deal with one of the deepest wounds that I believe anybody can ever get is from the absent or abusive father, and likewise the mother, but obviously as as a father. I'm coming from the father's perspective. This is why I'm very passionate about healing them wounds of what I call the absent and abusive father.
1: Ray, would you also say that there are times that fathers, even when they're not abusive, might even inadvertently create wounds?
3: Oh, my, yeah. So there's no perfect father. And here's the problem is... What you said is not what I heard, and what I heard is not what you meant. My brain can literally run four times faster than you can talk. So as you're talking, my brain is racing to perceive what do I think you're about to say, and I come up with a conclusion of what you mean long before you're done saying it. Now, take this to the child. We as founders, we come out for a walk, we're tired. The child says, daddy, daddy, look at this. You're like, kid, seriously, can't you just give me a minute? What did the child hear? The child literally heard, oh, I'm not good enough. Dad don't want to spend time with me. When the mm. dad really meant, I'm tired. Give me a few minutes just to set down my lunch pail and just sit down and rest and talk to my wife. And the child's, oh, dad, the would be I'm not good enough. Or in my case, I'm self employed for 36 years. I'm in the office working on an estimate, trying to develop a new thing, and the children, they want attention. And I can't. Well, if that happens enough, the child can perceive that they're not wanted, they're not loved. Unfortunately, I didn't, we don't take the time at the end of the day, or I don't know we ever take the time to go back and say to the child, How did you see me today? Or how do you perceive me in the last year? We don't do that because we don't stop to think that what our children are perceiving is not what we're projecting. This is really critical is we'll never know how somebody sees us unless we literally stop and go ask them and say, how are you seeing me as a dad? How are you seeing me as a husband? How you seeing me as a brother? It's what we call our blind spots. We can't see what we can't see. We don't know what we don't know.
2: Ray, that makes me think of driving in a car when I'm looking to change lanes. Sometimes I'm going to rely on my car to give me the beep beep. And other times I'm going to turn
0: and look and check my blind spot. But there are still other times that I'm blowing everything off and just cutting somebody off and not really worried about Anybody
3: else but myself. Yeah. And, and that's what happens with our children is we never think to stop and ask our children, what do you see in me that I do not see in myself? You mentioned in
1: your case, you deal with uh, abusive situations. When we get into family situations, kids can see that the same way, can't they?
3: Oh, my, well, yes. Oh, yeah. So what's interesting about a stepfamily is it amplifies the problem. Jack. What's interesting in the stepfamily that the problem is majorly amplified because the reason, unless no matter what, even if the the spouse was deceased and the children lost their parent, they if they lost a the parent, it was devastating and went through emotional trauma. But if it was due to a family separation, you can only imagine. That years before the separation, there was conflict and strife. And the children took the blunt of that because neither one of the parents was able to or probably never thought of go to the children. How are you? Mom and dad are not doing well. Things are not working out. How are you holding up? Unfortunately, mom and dad are not overwhelmed with their own stuff. They don't even think that the children are being forever shaped into their future by what's happening. Now, here comes this child who has went through this traumatic separation, and there's probably a period of time where there was no father or which whichever way. The father and mother is separated, and now they're trying to juggle between the two. Now they get thrust into a whole new family dynamics and a whole new father or mother dynamics. And now they got to try and gel and feel that love and acceptance. And here's this father or mother trying to bring that dynamics together. So a lot of moving parts. If it's not approached with love, and again, as a stepfather or a stepmother sitting down with a child, and just sharing that that love and that blessing to bring that connection. Now, unfortunately, some children are never going to have heard love and acceptance from one of their parents. And that step-parent can literally stand in that place and give what that other parent did not give. Because that's what I've done with literally thousands of people is I've stood in the place as a father. And I shared the things that their fathers never shared with them. And it radically changed their lives because life and death is in the tongue.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. You mentioned that you'd gone through two bouts of depression and that you attach this to, to your own relationship with your dad. So I'm curious two things, Ray. First of all, how long was this process? How long did this take
3: you? And what was the catalyst? My last depression was uh a little over seven years ago. And that's the one I was five minutes away from suicide. The other was 20 years before that. And it really, if I had to break it down to where did it come from? What's the root? Where's the beginning? The beginning is to me, is very obvious, is my father left when I was four years old. And my thought processes were, I'm abandoned, I'm rejected. And I would literally tell people all the time, I'm abandoned, I'm rejected. Guess how I'll live my life. Someone along
2: those lines believing the words, of yeah. uh, the things that you were speaking over yourself.
3: Every pastor, every boss, every authority figure rejected me mm-hmm. because I set it up. Now, not every one of them were bad people, and surely not every one of them were good people. They were just as broken and empty as I was. And here I come, prophesying and projecting that I'm going to be rejected. Mm -hmm. Self fulfilling prophecy. I set up scenarios so that my brokenness irritated their brokenness and they reacted and did what I proclaimed they would do. I realized after my mass depression that the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly to me. what really radically set me free. We said, they, uh-huh. first he said, uh, nobody's coming to fix it. And I'm like, wow. And a couple of days later, he spoke very clearly. He said, Ray, they were broken and empty. This leads us right into
2: the books that you've just released. So you have a couple of books
3: Yes, I, I wrote a book called Daddy, Why Don't You Love Me? A Father's Blessing to a Son. The book is really to help people deal with the father wounds, it is the wounds from the absent and abusive fathers, from not feeling loved and accepted from their dads. And this is what I struggled through. And we have seen this father's blessing dramatically. Change people's lives is just absolutely amazing. So, I'm just going to say to anybody who's never believed they were loved or wanted—if you never heard your dad say "I love you" or "I bless you," this—it starts in conception, goes through the first, second, third trimester, birth, infant, toddler, all the way through your life, speaking blessings into each part of your life, because life and death is in the tongue. I want to speak life. And we see as people are able to receive that, it is amazing the transformation that we see when people are able to receive that truth in, in their life, that they are loved and they are wanted.
1: Ray, would you say that this is effective at any stage? In other words, we might have the young son or daughter, who feel they're being rejected, say, at eight years old, and then we might have the 20-somethings who've been rejected all their life. Does that work the
3: same way, or do we go back in time with somebody? 100%. I see it work as young as a six-year-old up into 80. It is incredibly effective, especially if the parent themselves are doing it. But even so, if you stood in the place as a father, and the same is true if you stood in the place as a mother, as long as that child is able to comprehend what you're saying, it will have a dramatic effect on their lives.
2: In our previous conversations and getting ready for the podcast, you used an expression, in your face, in your space. Can you share a little bit about in your face, in your space?
3: Yes, yes. I am be I like to say I'm an intense personal transformation coach. And the Holy Spirit led me to make put an advertisement and saying I will fly anywhere in the world. I will stay in your home for 3 to 5 days. And if I do not change your life in that amount of time, I'll give you money back including airfare. And what's funny about this is I had never spent 3 hours with somebody at that time. I did. My first time was in Oklahoma, five days. And now I've done over 20 of those immersions where I go into people's homes. I stay there, sleep there, heat there. We start our sessions at eight o'clock in the morning at their kitchen table. We're in session till six o'clock that night. No phone calls, no interruptions. Nobody can stop in. We do that for 3 straight days. We have a 95% success rate. It's just absolutely amazing. Now, what I mean by success is nobody's has for their money back. What I mean by success <laughs> is that their marriages have been dramatically improved. Now, dramatically improved means that both the couple either one of the couples has to continue to put in the same amount of effort continually after they went through the session, if we look at what happens in the three days. We have a hundred percent success because it's you can't go through something so intense and not have a dramatic shift, mm-hmm. the uh, a paradigm shift. What I'm saying is long term paradigm shifts. So it's easy to revert back to what you used to do if you're not willing to continue to push forward in what you are doing. That does sound pretty intense.
1: So describe that process. You said in the past, one of the things that you mention is your personal why. Describe that.
3: My why I do this is I want to be for the world, what the world was not for me when I needed them the most. My legacy is that I gave my all and that I never want anybody to be the same because they met me. Because we live in a world of very hurting people. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of bad misinformation out there. And I was that's why I suffered the way I didn't, is people were not giving me the truth. So if the truth will set you free, that means if you're not free, you don't have the truth. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, for the majority of my life, I did not have the truth. I lost 30 to 40 years to anger, depression, and and bitterness, because I didn't have the truth. Now, my greatest passion to help people be free. So good, Ray. So good.
1: Yeah. and, And along with that, Ray, you've given us the concept that people who don't have the truth are working hard to escape something or to bury something. What is it that they're working hard to escape and bury?
3: Oh, and Yeah. So I just say that when we do this transformation process is people who are trying to hide the pain of their childhood. So let me just unpack this a little bit is our brain is doing to research of our whole life, every moment of every day, determine what is about to happen in the next moment based 100% on the beliefs of your past. Mm-hmm. primarily. It's researching the information that you gathered from conception to 10 years old. That's what we call your core. Now, so many people do not want to go back to the core because it's painful. So they spent their whole life with drugs, sex, and rock and roll trying to bury that pain. And here I come along and say, hey, guys, guess what? We're going to go dig in the core of your life. And they're like, ah, I don't want to do that. So they're trying to bury the painful memories and the perceptions of how they seen what happened. The Mm. problem is, from conception to 10 years old, your brain is in in what we call hyperneuroplasticity, simply meaning it's sucking in tons of information and is not able to determine, oh, that's not a good thing to think or that's not what they meant. Now, your brain just sucks it in and that's what it means. Now, what happens here you go in 60, 70, 80 years old, it do not matter how old you are, your brain does that research in a nanosecond, comes back with the conclusion oh, that's what it means based 100% on your perception of the past. So, when your brain searches for that information, comes back with the conclusion, writes it through your emotional calculator. How do I feel right now? And you respond. Neurochemicals get released in your body, in your brain. And if it's a bad thing, it takes your uh, cortisol, takes your cognitive thinking processing and greatly diminishes it all at the speed of light. It happens Uh so fast. Now, here is the reason we have to go back. Because my brain is doing what? It's researching the past meetings to determine what I perceive is about to happen in the next moment. And we go and blame the devil. The devil has a part. He is not the problem. He is a problem. The problem is the belief that I gave it. Mm. The problem is the lie. So... When something that I believe about my past does not line up with God's kingdom truth, it's a lie. Guess who's invited to the party of the lie? The father of lies. So when we hold on to a lie, the father of lies is welcome to the party. And he does not have to leave until... We close the lie and then the father lies, has to leave because he has nothing to stand on. If we hold on to the lie, the father lies and all his friends are allowed to be. A- Technically, he doesn't
2: really have any friends. That's another lie.
3: Maybe <laughs> <laughs> his cohorts. Yeah, they don't live be other either. They need each other, but you give give not- a- you know, you're right. You're right.
2: That's right.
1: I know that reminds me again of another uh, conversation we had previously, Ray, and that was uh, we had talked about how shame gets into that process. And we even went through Adam and Eve and the whole process of how shame was introduced to the world as they hid from
3: God because of a lie. Oh, I'm glad you brought that out because if you look at Genesis chapter two, at the very end of the chapter, he says it. He made them man and woman, they were naked and not ashamed. So, shame is a very powerful emotion. Then you jump right into Genesis chapter three. And after they the ate of the fruit, God's walking through the garden, calling out to Adam. And he said, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard you and I was afraid. Another powerful emotion. So, now if you look back at Genesis two, they did not. They were not driven by emotions, but when you come to Genesis three, they are now driven by emotions. They're overtaken by emotions, so much so they hid from God. So the, when we look at what I like to call our owner's manual, the Genesis three sixteen model, because in Genesis three sixteen is where God started to tell the serpent and man and woman, what is about to happen because of their sin. So now we got to look at who are we as the Genesis 3.16 model. And that is, we have to conquer our emotions. If we are never able to get a hold of our emotions, our emotions will forever keep us, will control. If you can imagine one uh, are the examples I use. If you ever go to a revival meeting, the first day you go, it's like a weekend revival. First day, yeah, this is okay. Second day is, wow, this is awesome. Third day, you're there, like, oh, Jesus, I will die for you. I will do anything. I'm all, wow. Come the next Friday, nobody wants to stand beside you because they're afraid lightning's about to hit you. What happened? We went from a spiritual high to an emotional low. Our emotional lows will take us out of a spiritual high, but a spiritual high can never pull you out of an emotional low. So that would say that we really need to understand our emotions. If you think about it, our emotions open the door for the father who lies to come in. If Jesus said, you will do what I've done in even greater things, and if I am seated in heavenly places with Christ, why am I crashing and burning, flipping out and cutting people off in traffic, hollering at the kids, putting them in timeouts and taking their phone? Why am I acting that way? Because I am not connected with Christ in my spirit. My emotions are overtaking me. When I can control my emotions, now I can get into the spirit. So why are my emotions out of control? We always got to go to the why. Why? My emotions are out of control because I believe a lie. Where does the lie come from? From my childhood. The step family situation where you might have
1: two parents that are dealing with their own emotions you've got the kids
3: dealing with their emotions and everything is a jumble this is why this becomes so critical mom and dad you need to deal with your absent and abusive father you need to deal with your absent and abusive mother you cannot be a strong father until you become a son You cannot be a strong mother until you became a daughter. You have to deal with your emptiness and your brokenness in your childhood before you can be all that for your children. so important to ask the Holy Spirit to expose to you where do you need to bring healing to yourself. Because if you don't have healing in yourself, when you go to work with your children, your brokenness is going to become their brokenness. I hear
2: what you're saying and I'm thinking about our audience listening. Okay, maybe I'm not comfortable going to the Holy Spirit or maybe I don't know how to do that. If we back up a little bit and and go back to this neuroplasticity, how do you rewire your brain? I hear you saying that that's what you do in these immersions when you go to people's homes that you are immersed in their daily life. And, and the idea is to identify the problem areas, I'm sure. So oftentimes people will hear pray about this, but they don't really know what that means, right? They're they're struck me. Well, what does that look like? For people hearing this neuroplasticity of the brain and how past wounds create future hurts. How do they stop the cycle if they're not going to invite you into their home for th- days, for example, for an immersive experience? What can they do right now that can
3: help stop the chaos? It's, I call it the simple five steps is you need to stop. You need to ask yourself, what am I thinking? And you need to say, why am I thinking that? Hmm. The fourth thing, is it truth? The fifth thing is, what is the truth? So guys, this is really critical because you have 40 thoughts a minute. That's as many as 70,000 thoughts a day. Dr. Joe Dispenza says about 50% of what you're thinking about today is the same thing you were struggling with yesterday. So guys, if you never stop and say to yourself, Ray, what are you thinking? Why are you even thinking that? Where'd that come from? Why? Is it true? What is the truth? So many times when we get stuck, we try to think what we're thinking by trying to think of something else. If we keep coming back with the same scenarios, we really got to stop and say, hey, uh, where'd that come from and why? This is the critical part. Whatever you come up with, what's your why is you have to write it on a paper. What am I thinking? Why am I thinking that? Whatever your answer is, say, why am I thinking that? And write it down. Whatever your answer is, say, why am I thinking that? And write it down. Whatever your answer is, say, why am I thinking that? Go at least five whys, and you will find the root. Now, this is not a once and done, oh my God, aha, my life's just never going to be the same. This is a continuing process. This is being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. If you never get to that why, that's going to keep coming back, is the same result. Until you go in there and change what's feeding into it, it's never going to change. So that's really what I call the simple step to hard process. Is you got to find your why are you thinking? I mean, this I had to do this basically myself. It took me over the last six years. I've been on a in, um, radical growth projection because. When you're just and you say, "I cannot live like this anymore. I will not live like this." Here's the other key, is you have to take a hundred percent responsibility for what are you thinking. God cannot change your mind. Your spouse cannot change your mind. He cannot make you think or believe anything. You are 100 percent responsible for what your perceptions and your beliefs are. I know you can say, but that's what they keep doing. That's your perception of it. Why are they doing it? Whatever you believe is your perception. You can literally go and change the meaning that you give to everything in life. When you are able to change the meaning, they're, they're doing that to hurt me they're doing nothing to me down. When you change that meaning, guess what? You become the winner. So just say, just use a scenario. Let's just say, one of the spouses is degrading. We're not going to say which one because they both can do this. And uh, the person is just constantly, and, and if anybody observed this, everybody would say, wow, they are very degrading. But if we, the recipient, can say, Instead of, oh, they're degrading me, if I could say, oh, they're broken and empty. They cannot give me what they do not have. See what the difference is? He changed from me becoming a victim to me saying, oh, I feel bad for them because they really don't know what they're doing. They have them. I pity them. Now, when I pity them, how can I be angry at them? So I change my perception of what do I see? What do I believe? Because if I allow that perception to be that they're just degrading me and they're trying to hurt me, I'm going to be on guard. I'm going to be defensive. I'm going to be angry. I'm not going to be happy. That translates into everything I do in my life. When I change the meaning, they are broken and empty. It makes me curious how to help them not be broken and empty. So it radically changes my aunt local life from a victim to being curious into building something better.
1: Ray, and that brings us back to one of the things we mentioned earlier, and that is how we as adults can speak those blessings into the children. So that we arrest that process in them. Your books, Daddy, Why Don't You Love Me, A Father's Blessing to a Son, uh, Healing to the Wounds of the Absent and Abusive Father, has a
3: great application to the step family, too, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. So huge because so many people in a step family did not feel that love for one or the other parent. And Unfortunately, they are a step family because the original family did not work out. And it's so critical for that father or that mother to be ready to step into that place when that child allows them to. And as you know, you can't force your way into that place, you just have to be willing, waiting at the door and willing to step through the door when the child opens that door. And that is offering to be there, to offering to share this blessing. If that child, and this is really critical for adopted children, especially children adopted at young ages, because they got put up for adoption and they deal with a lot of rejection, a lot of issues of abandonment. And so this blessing, and I encourage mothers to read this book and instead of standing as a father, stand as a mother and say the exact same blessing. It applies the same when a mother speaks this as when a father speaks this. So this blessing, very powerful, because again, it it speaks to the deep wound that child has been carrying since very young age. And they don't just magically go away. We, We try to bury them, they don't go away.
2: You say that you've stood, personally, you've stood in the place of a father and you've blessed thousands of people by praying over them and speaking this gift of God's love over them. Takes me to where you got your name, Papa Ray, where you want to uh, have a million stepkids? Tell me about that.
3: When I first started this was in 2004 in Brazil. His Holy Spirit told me to stand in the place as this girl's father and bless her as my daughter. Now, I remember hearing on a video, John it from Elijah House, talking about this. So I'm like, you know, I got this. And I said, can I stand in the place of your father? She goes, yeah. And I said, well, I'm sorry for not being there. And I'm sorry for not loving you when you were a child. And she starts weeping profusely. and like, oh, my gosh, I never really expected this to happen. And I said, Oh, I, I bless you as my daughter. Uh, you're loved. You're wanted. You're accepted. Open up a whole new floodgate of tears. And that was the first in 2004. Went back in Brazil in 2006. Literally every single person that I prayed for, Holy Spirit said it's their dad. So when people come up to me to ask for prayer for something, I just simply said, Can I? bless you as your father, and they're like, yeah, all but one, I don't think I understood what I meant, but literally every other person was like, yeah, of course. There's one girl that stayed in touch with us. We mentored her for years. I actually write about her in the book, and uh, 2010, she started saying, Papa, Papa, you got to come back. That's where I got my name, Papa Ray, because she would only call me Papa. She wouldn't call me Ray. She just called me Papa. Went back four more times with my own ministry, and we would go into churches and rehabs and prisons five, six nights a week. And yeah, it was awesome. It was so powerful. And now all the people in Brazil only know me as Papa. It's our pleasure to
2: get to know you as Papa Ray and learn more about your story. And for our audience, where can they go to get your book, to learn more about what you're about and the blessings that you have for God's children.
3: Yes, please visit my website. It's fathersblessing.info. Fathersblessing.info. And while you're on that website, uh, please go and watch the video. I actually have a video of me sharing that blessing to a son as well as to a daughter. And you could also click on the link and get the book there as well. Wonderful.
2: We thank you so much for the honor of hearing more about what's in your heart and the work that God has done in your life.
3: I honestly believe, if you look at Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, it says, before the dreadful day of the Lord, he will send the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's hearts to the fathers, less He'll smite the land with a curse, end of Old Testament. Why would he smite the land with a curse? Is if he comes back and sees the heart of the fathers and the children are not for each other, they're not his people. Hmm. So, this father's blessing is one of the most critical keys to starting the conversation, to start the healing process. It's not the final, it's the beginning. This, this Father's blessing is the beginning of the conversation, and we need to deal with the wound before we can make progress. We can't run on a wounded leg. We need to heal first. And this blessing is the healing callus that needs to happen to get us back into the race.
1: Ray, we do appreciate your message so much today. So important. Again, folks, today, Papa Ray Hurst with us, sharing this oh-so-important message with all of us.
3: Wow. So good. So good. I I love sharing this. This is my passion. Again, I want to be for the world. What the world was not for me when I needed them. And my goal is never leave anybody the way I found them.
1: Amen.